Welcome to Fem on Creatives, part of the Fem on Collective. I'm Tanya Todd, and I am excited to share today's guest with you. I met Vanessa Riley at Black Ink Charleston Book Festival. It was clear she was the star talent at this event, yet she offered her time and advice with such humble grace that it endeared me to her before I read a single word from one of her books. Over the years, this phenomenal woman has taught me about my writing, about my history, and about myself. Her novels, Island Queen and Sister Mother Warrior, you guys need to go out and read that book. These are the types of books I wish I'd known as a young woman trying to find myself or a reflection of myself in the world. And it's one of her beautiful books that brings us here today. But first, welcome, Vanessa. Please introduce yourself and give us a brief overview of your artistic journey. Danya, thank you for having me. And you are so generous, always so very generous with your time and your platform. So I deeply appreciate you and all that you do. Um, my name is Vanessa Riley. I am an author of historical fiction, historical mystery, and historical romance. I believe that our history is, is beautiful, it's diverse, it's nuanced, and every story has a place that uh, it needs to be told. It needs to be told well, it needs to be well-researched, it needs to show the world that it's not just the enslavement story, it's not just 500 BC uh, kings and queens spaceship taking us in between the two time frames of 1865. And it's not just America. The diaspora is completely around the world. There's so many stories that we need to, to, to lean into, to get inspiration from, to gain a better understanding of who we are and what we can achieve. It's by knowing our roots. Um, I firmly believe in watering our roots, uh, to be grounded by our roots and to speak of them because we would not be here if somebody didn't try, if somebody didn't move forward, if somebody didn't try to, 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 to have a bigger dream than what everyone says they should have. So I'm, I'm very proud of my books. Um, I think we're somewhere around 25 now, but mm. they're black women, women of color um, who from 1750 to about 1830 that are striving to do different and exciting things. And I'm here for those stories. I love the idea of watering our roots. And we are the products of triumph. To be here, we are the products of triumph. Exactly. I mean, people are so scared of learning history. And even, you know, we have been indoctrinated. Our history is pain. So you you run into lots of people, particularly young people. They don't want to understand history. They think it's all kunta kente, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And, and 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 which is once again that's an important story it's just not the only story right um there are times where we saved ourselves there are times where we rose above and we're champions and scientists and business owners and queens and we and need queens. To be able, we need to be able to walk in all of it the fullness of all of it and i'm just glad that we're now in a space that we're seeing it and it feels such an exciting time well, speaking of queens, we are here to talk about your latest novel, Queen of Exiles. And there, there's just so much to love in this book. And as I read it, I was wondering about the connections to Sister Mother Warrior. Did you know you'd be writing this when you were writing that one? Actually, no. Um, I I discovered Louise uh, Christoph while doing my research. And, um, you know, as 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 a writer, you're you're always collecting stories. I feel like I I just have this bag of stories, and so when you hear things, or you see some of the folk tales or history, it just gets very interesting. But I put them on little shelves. I put you know stack stuff on little shelves, and it was time to do the next story. And I went back and looked at all the different nuggets, and literally this one just jumped out because at, in during Sister Mother Warrior, she is just the wife. Of, uh, of of the second in command, uh, Henri Christophe. Um, he's one of the generals that helped liberate Haiti. He's working with Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Um, and even as Jean-Jacques um, uh, becomes the first emperor of the United uh, Atia, or Hatia, uh, as, as they said it, um, he's right up under him and he's working up under him. But you give it a space of about maybe five or 10 years Jean-Jacques Desalines is gone. The country is now split in two. 
and Henri and his wife are developing a kingdom and they literally become the first king and queen of the kingdom of Haiti. I had no idea of her story and you buy into things, right? So um, during this time frame, when I was starting to do research, most people look at her story from the lens of almost where Haiti is now. So they don't look at it as the triumph of, of the things that she did or that that, that King Henri did. Um, and they, I was in London and they were unveiling these blue plaques and they were uh, making, you know, Madame Christophe and her daughters lived here plaques, right? And then you find out there's another plaque coming up about six months later uh, on these basic, it's, it's resort level air, uh, an area that, that's always been a resort in Hastings. And they're putting up another blue plaque. Okay. Christophe and her daughter live here. Now, if you want to believe that she was a poor <laughs> wife, how exactly is she affording to yeah. live in? exclusive area. One is right near, uh, right in Mayfair, which is the expensive, bougie level uh, society of London during that time frame. And then Hastings, the seaside resort area. Are we to believe that she was living on the kindness of strangers, uh, <laughs> you know, the whole time? Or was she an empowered woman with money and connections and doing what she needed to do to basically resurrect the dignity that she had as a queen of Haiti now being an exiled queen on the European stage. So the discovery of what we think and what we sometimes even may rationalize based on all the negative stereotypes we've ever seen or the the, the diminishing of the wealth and richness of our history, you know, I'm, I'm prone to it. And so the more I discovered, the more I got excited and I was like, I have to tell this story. You know, you use newspaper clippings that were actually from that day and age. And I think, number one, that is a wonderful way to to share this story, to say this is, basically, this is the shit they were talking back then. And <laughs> I think that if, if they were trying to say that she were poor, that would have been included in those newspaper clippings. They would have had all kinds of things to say about that. And there's no mention of it. Oh, my gosh. It's, it is ridiculous. Um the the things that they would write if it's a different story um because the, the newspapers then are like the newspaper now they the salacious the gossip and if she'd come to uh, to to england which was her first stop on her journey and she was impoverished and she's depending upon the abolitionist societies to help her and her daughters it would look it would be looked at very badly i mean i even found a, a letter where somebody is saying you know she has her own resources so she's not going to be a problem mm. I just, it's like, and so to me, I really wanted to put these, these actual newspaper clippings in the book so you guys can see, because no one at face value, historical fiction, there is the history part and there's the fiction part. And I wanted everyone to see that the, the incidents that I am eliciting in this book actually happened. I'm just giving you flavor and color and, and a compelling story to just keep you motivated so you can see this, this swath of history and realize what this woman and her daughters were able to achieve. So without spoiling anything, tell listeners what to expect from Queen of Exiles. Um, Queen of Exiles shall blow your mind. Um, you are going to see a woman who is resilient. You're going to see a woman who's conflicted. Um, she knows what she thinks is right. She's trying to support her husband. Her husband has been traumatized by war. Uh, he's, you know, we would call it post-traumatic stress syndrome. Uh, he was in the American Revolution. Uh, he was in the early battles where Haiti kept flipping sides between the Spain and France. He's leading the rebellions. He lived war a long, long time. And so as you see the, the way he's over-militarizing the country, to me, it comes from this point of making sure I'm safe because I am still living in the trauma of this of war. So you have a, a, a king who's trying to find peace, trying to make peace and actually doing a lot of diplomatic work uh, with the various nations, but he's still at war in his head. And how do you deal with that? How do you love a man through that? How do you retain your identity when, you know, he might want you just to be the the beautiful space, the the supporter in the corner, as opposed to 
remembering because you've spent so much time away from each other that this woman had strength. This woman has had to keep my children safe while I was away, you know, uh, leading my life, uh, doing, you know, helping with the, the war efforts. She kept everything together at home. So she has strength. She's not the same girl I married, so to speak. Um, so you get all these little conflicts. And then you have her in exile where, who does she, who is she? Um, does she try to assimilate into a country? Um, will the ruling classes accept her as a queen or as a former queen? Um, will she be able to socialize with them? Uh, all of these different things. And, and then finding her triumphs, where she was accepted, some of the failings where she wasn't. Um, to me, it's, it's a great journey. Um, and then as, as a mom, just the, yeah, you know, not to spoil it, but, but one daughter is chronically ill. And the other one, uh, through circumstances, doesn't know who she is really. She, you know, she's losing, she's lost her identity. Hate being a, a princess in Haiti was a big part of her identity. And then facing blatant racism um, in Europe, who is she now? And and what does beauty really mean? And 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 what does when someone says they love you, what does that really mean in these political contexts and, and realisms that she may be facing? And then you have a mom who had this storybook romance with her 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 father, watching her move on to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting that part. And let me tell you, it did not disappoint. Thank you. And that's once again, smack dab doing the research because if you buy into the, you know, she was excluded, separated, and then all of a sudden you find out she's in all the countries, she's going to all the spas. Every all the spas in Europe, gang. She's how can you be that sad? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You give me a year or two of going to every spa in in Europe. I think I'm gonna be all right. I think I'm gonna be looking great. And when a prince comes around, I, I, he will be. He will find me attractive. I think mm. that's a good thing. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a shocker. And you know, the things that I that I put in specifically. So that you would see that this is, you know, uh, there are many reasons why he was attracted to her. Um, she had she had money. She she was beautiful. Uh, the statures matched up. Uh, he was hunting for a wealthy woman, uh, so to speak, because many of the the titled people in Europe are poor. Uh, you know, they're 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 duchies or their their lands cost a lot of money, lots of taxes, lots of upkeep. So they're always constantly trying to marry within the married class uh, in the wealthy classes, and mm -hmm. she fits the bill on on many things. But to see the other evidence of how deep that connection was 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 amazing. And so I I I wanted to make sure you, you really felt that love. And to me, it's important when you've had this husband, this relationship that was bigger than life, and then it's over. Are you forever going to be in darkness and mourning that part of your life? Or are you going to allow someone new in? I think these are just some of the things you, to me, I wanted to, to put on the page. You know, you mentioned darkness and you do a lot with shadows in the story. You mentioned shadows falling over her quite a bit, but it, it means something. You use those shadows. Was that something that happened organically or did you set out to do it? Was it something that you noticed that you were doing and then you said I'll lean into this um very early on I you know because as you you know for me the first 10,000 20,000 words is, is setting the tone trying to nail the tone and I just kept focusing on the height difference between <laughs> King Audrey literally King Audrey and and the and Queen Louise and then what does that mean if you have a man who's larger than life and he's all he's around that that shadow you feel and some people look at shadows, the darkness as in bad. And for her, it was safety and security. Yeah. Uh, and then I find out that the prince is also very tall. Yeah, it, it worked well. I, lo I loved that you did that. And I know it's not really the story, but it's an element to the story that enriched it for me. And I just wanted to tell you, I noticed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, every book there... Um, I think Sarah McLean called me a talisman writer, right? So it's like, if I bring out something, you know, we'll bring it back. And yeah. I repeat a theme. So I do kind of look for those themes, those things, those 
tangibles or slightly tangible things that that will identify moments or let the reader know this is going this is a big moment this is an important mm-hmm. thing and for for me shadows were very very big particularly because most people think of shadow as bad and i'm no. like, a little twist in it that shadow is good so i want to go back to something that you mentioned at the beginning of this where you're talking about the reasons behind some of the things you write and it definitely plays a role in this one of the shows that I host for Femon is Active Activism. And I view your books as a type of activism because you're rewriting the narrative around Black people, Black women, Black power. And I'll share a, a quote that stuck with me. And it's it was one of those moments that you were just referencing. In a world that treated Black skin as a curse, there needed to be a way for every Black girl and boy to know our faces were once royal. It's it's activism. I, I will I will unabashedly say it out loud. Um, because when I write, I try and invest the skin, be in the person, and the respect of that court, the Haitian court, the respect, and to go into Europe and now you're suspect because they, their entire lives, once the once Haiti became free, they didn't have that experience. She may have had some of that when she was uh, an innkeeper's daughter, experiencing the rich classes coming in and 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 whatnot. But once Haiti became free, she was a respected general's wife, and then she became the president's wife, and then she became the first queen, the yes. only. So, and to instill that, and then to go into exile because you're running, you're trying to save your life, trying to save the lives of your daughters, and you get that disdain, and. You know, there's a tension of wanting to hide because you want you don't want any more pain. Every time you expose your face, you're you're opening up for pain. Um, and even you know, unfortunately, today you still, when you go out the house and you go someplace, you're wary because you've been hurt before, and so you may want to hide. And so she has to make that choice of no, they need to know us, they need to see us. Because when they do, they will know that, that you can attain and be anything. And without that, we have to accept what people tell us we are. And uh, you war against that because you have no examples of people being more. Or you have to invent things. Yeah. And my my reality is this is true. This is true history. Right. I mean... Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Bridgerton, but the difference here is that's a fantasy version. And what you're doing is you're sharing about real people, real events, real women of color who pushed past patriarchal bounds. Absolutely. I I love Bridgerton and I love the new discussions that are opening up. Um, You know, we were talking about the the natural hair and how the... Before it was, you know, uh, you know, get it as straight as possible and, and, and all those sorts of things. And, and now it's like we can weave it. We can do whatever we want. We can braid it. And it's everything is glamorous. I love the, the, the photo shoots they've been doing around it are so amazing to yes. see India and seeing Golda and even um, forget the, the boy's name that plays the handsome little fellow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all together. And just just being so beautiful and open and and um, the the young woman Arsima who's who plays Lady Danbury they are so gorgeous they are just and that would not happen without a Bridgerton so right. Bridgerton is going to be one of the, those touchstones in history of the before time and the after time because I I believe the way that historicals are presented in the media as a television or a film has changed those doors that kept us locked behind or that say that, you know, you're not going to have a wide audience. You're not going to have a mass audience if these people are chosen to play these parts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We have to do this playbook or the full analysis of, of, of what they call historical accuracy and kind of things. All that now broken on its head because people are getting enjoyment from stories that are told extremely well, that have great diverse representation. I think that's a touchstone moment. But at the same time, when you have true stories of people who lived, we need to break down the stereotypes that ripped away their stories. Uh, you know, sometimes you feel like they're crying out from the graves of like, look, we, we hello, uh, we've done this, you can do this too. 
You don't have to imagine that it could happen. It has happened. We have done this. And so these stories need to be out because unfortunately the educational system is not telling these stories. Um, the, you know, even just the, the Haitian story, they are the MVPs of, of the early world. The things that they did, throwing off a superpower, um, writing a constitution that makes everyone black. So everybody starts at the same level. So there's no colorism, there's no hierarchy of white versus black, et cetera. Everybody's black. So you all start at the same place and you can all dream and do what you want. They are the MVPs. And then you get to Queen Louise and King Henri's reign, and which ideally is the exact same window as the, as the Regency. So 1811 to 1820, it maps out. So she's so your it's in your bailiwick. It's, it's, <laughs> she's your other Regency queen. Yes. Uh, happened. So it's the story needs to be there. And I think you will find yourself in this story. Everyone will find they can relate to different things. Um, and it's just valuable history that has been ignored. And it kills me. It was right there. Right. If anybody <laughs> spent the time, not just Vanessa Riley, spent the time going through the history books and going through uh, the newspaper clippings, you would see it. But except because we want to diminish Black history, she gets scant, scantily mentioned in different places. And she's the poor, sorrowful queen. She wasn't poor. She did have sorrows and she was forever a queen. Yeah, well, we all have sorrows. So th that label is one of many for her. I do want to talk about the intersections of her because I think that you do, you do an amazing job of weaving the intersections of identity into this character. I say character, but you know, she's a real woman, but you had to, you had to piece together the parts that you learned. So it's not just that she's a woman. It's not just that she's a black woman, but you show the way age and class and being a military wife, like you said earlier, and having a chronically sick child, all of these aspects make up who she is. Exactly. Um, we're not a monolith. Uh, you know, so Queen Louise's story may look different than someone else's story. Doesn't invalidate somebody else's story doesn't invalidate her experiences, but we need to open our minds to say, look at the spectrum. This woman is a spectrum, right? The political intrigues that are happening during within her Haitian court. Um, you know, trying to be more European versus being loyal to our African heritage. There's so many things to unpack in her journey. And to me, it was, let me show. I can't show everything, but let me show those elements that are going to weave a story that's going to take you along with her um, for you to root for her and want to know what's happening and want to know, you know, how does her story end? Um, to me, that was essential. And and just you, I can't see how to tell part of the story and be and make it feel authentic because, you know, people like to divide her up. They want to divide her up and make her a mousy little queen that didn't open her mouth and that's not the woman I found. Or they want to make her a poor waif that was isolated and ostracized in London and that wasn't what I found. And they totally skipped the European spas, which I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I went last year, I went on research just because, you know, Haiti, because of all the wars, it was pretty leveled, right? So there wasn't these large buildings and many things have been burned up and, and they were still doing rebuilding. Even when she goes into exile, they're still rebuilding. She goes to a place that's got buildings that are 200, 300, 1,000 years old. What does that feel like? Yeah. And so walking in her steps in Florence and Pisa and, and Rome and London, uh, it was amazing experience. Um, so. And I do want to talk to you about that because it's not just the places, but you give us sensory details in this. You give us the rich music of the time, the, the fabrics, the glittering jewels, the opulence. Tell us about the research involved to tell a story like this. Where did you go? What did you find? Ah, uh, everywhere and everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm luckily, uh, one of, I think one of my superpowers is that I'm a collector. So as I may be researching other things, little things will, will stick in and, and, and um, 
I'll add it to the collection. So one of the first hotels she stays in in London is the Osborne Hotel. And as I do, because like I do a very extensive research, I, I try to go to the place if at all possible. Um, it's so close to the Thames. I'm like, she's a walker. I, I learned that very early. She's going to walk by the Thames. What does that feel like? You walk in the morning and you're right there at the Thames uh, River. Because um, it's a different experience than being right where, you know, not exactly right there, but one of their early homes was 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 very close to uh, La Cap, so right on the water, so they could see the water from their wind from her window, uh, one of their early homes. But after that, it was jungle and, and things like that from where the where the where the palace was. But to to be right there in London, right on the Thames, the waters ways that you came, you escaped on. What does that feel like? Um, the smell in the morning now. Granted, there are years and centuries different, but certain things you can imagine, you can, you can, the smell of the docks is still going to smell like docks. The way water smells, <laughs> you know, unless it's polluted, it's going to smell. But right. you kind of get it, you get the sense of the way the wind is feeling. And I want you to feel like you're walking in her footsteps. So as much sensory detail as I can add, I will do. And then things of the time, like for me, music is incredibly important. Music takes you back. Um, and music is political. Uh, so the choices are very, very political based on who is taking positions on abolition or freedom. Those are brought into it. Um, and, you know, some things are just a complete, thank you, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a painting, um, The Last Judgment. And this painting, when you analyze it, you look in the, you're looking in the foreground and you you can see angels and you can see uh, kings and whatnot. But when you look in the background, you actually see Caribbean women. I looked at the painting two or three times, did not see that until like the third time I looked at the painting. Because, and I was doing this because that that painting was on display at the Osborne Hotel. Because Athenair hadn't told you yet. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so just, Oh no! It, it wasn't her. It wasn't her, was it? Who? Which of the which of the daughters noticed it? Um, the think... Cleo one. So I don't remember. I think it was Amethyst. Uh, yes, Amethyst. Yes, the jewel, Amethyst. Yes. Yes. In Athena. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna mess them names up, girl. I'm very southern. Well, and there's multiple versions of their names. <laughs> that is. That's one of the. I wouldn't say joy. That is not a joy. Um, <laughs> Interesting parts of this. You, you've got to be very loose. Like Google is one of my, like whenever I do research, I always start with Google. What does, what does the world say? And that's how you have to look at when you do a Google search, what does the world say? Because the things that come up top are the most popular. They've been the most, they had the most traction and hits. They are not necessarily right, but they're telling you what the world is saying about these particular people. Very good first pass. And that's where you begin to figure out the names are switched up. Yeah. Um, so literally I had to to find early documents. So there was the newspaper that the kingdom published. So I found early versions of that because there, one of the early controversies was did did Henri, because it's a French French society language, although he was born in an English colony, was he a Y E H E N R Y or H E N R I? Yeah. It's H E N R Y because when you go back to the actual newspapers that printed from the king from king Henri, it's spelled with a y but the contemporary sources have put an eye on it because they just naturally say it's french so it's got to be the man knew how to sign his name okay yeah and there, that's just <laughs> one of many challenges with the names there's to not spoil any of this book with with names we'll talk about jean-jacques from your previous book but there's also jean-jacques and yeah so i'm reading this going is that the same person <laughs> you know but hey but you know i i learned from that experience right so now mm -hmm. i will forever have the table at the front so the table at the front will tell you their names and and actually for those who want to get into more research or even write in this period of time I gave you the names of the titles because there were counts, there were dukes, um, there were um, viscounts, et cetera. 
uh, princes, lots of princes in, in these particular. Uh, See, I don't read that kingdom. part because I don't want spoilers. I don't want to know who's going to be in the story. I want to be surprised. So it was one of those, I'm discovering this as we go through the story and I'm seeing these references like, that's interesting that this name is really close to this name in this previous book. And this name is almost exactly that name, but there are some, some elements that are a little different. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, you know, just to me, it's um, I try in the narrative to be as close to what was said on the ground during that time frame, but because the way history has been recorded has has met or or google or wikipedia has messed up right yes <laughs> i sometimes will, like like i try and i try and capture that because one of the most beautiful things is people when they read one of my novels they are they want to learn more about the real people and so they're googling they're wikipediaing they're you know buying books etc so i try i want to help i want to help you because when you finish a book there's not another time where you are more open to learning something new than when you've just finished a book because it's fresh in your head. Yes. And you can Things picture these you. characters. Exactly. So I, I try, I want to make you, I want to make the world, make y'all's jobs a little easier so that you can enjoy these books um, and really feel a part of the times. So something I enjoy doing with your books is buying the Kindle version and getting the audio version so that I can see how it's spelled and see the choices that you've made and how it's written but I can also hear the proper pronunciation. Oh, yes. Um, and I'm from Aiken, South Carolina. I'm going to tell you right now. They gave up, you know, like, so So my wonderful publishers will ask me how things are pronounced. They gave up on that. Yeah. <laughs> they went to the experts. Like, like, I know like, how like, it's I'm spelled. Like, I don't know how I to say it. The spelling's correct. Y'all <laughs> yeah. get an actual French person or get a Haitian person or get right. somebody from Africa or something because I'm going to mess it up. And I don't want to insult anybody. I don't want to insult the cultures. And I, they just know that now. So now they go get the professors. Or, or at times I will actually work with professors who are specialists or who have come from that particular area to give the pronunciation. And I turn that over for the audio. Uh, because the audio people are so into their jobs. Like mm -hmm. they want to know. And they're, they've got punch lists just to uh, to figure out how to say certain things. And it's it impresses me how very professional and the levels of polish these narrators want to get to them. I'm, I'm very excited. Do you know who your narrator is going to be for this one yet? Robin Mills. Robin Miles is, is the um, is the narrator. Uh, and she's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, I can't wait to hear the audio version to find out if <laughs> the choices I was making in my head are even close to correct. Yes. <laughs> I also want to tell you that as a biracial reader, I appreciate the way that you showcase so much Black power without villainizing all white people. Now, was that a deliberate choice on your part? Or is it just, hey, the history is there, that there are allies all throughout history? The the history is there. There's allies throughout history. But to me, it's, it's important um, because not everybody is the devil. Not everybody's the saint. Um, most people live their lives somewhere in between and depending upon circumstances can flip the script on you very quickly. Uh, but they're always, there's always some sort of ally system because when you're trying to go against the grain and going against the patriarchy, you need allies. Um, and I've been very careful to try and find these allies. Uh, in this particular story, the, the early abolitionists are allies trying to help the kingdom sending in um you know prince saunders who somebody needs to do his book someone needs to do prince saunders book because he's an american uh who comes to lead the science and educational programs for the kingdom uh fascinating man uh, he literally he literally has lunch with the prince regent because the prince regent thought he was a prince yes <laughs> <laughs> So it just goes to show you that titles really matter <laughs> and it didn't matter what you look like. Um, it's you, you were except you had a title, you're a prince, a king. It, it did not matter. So these, these stereotypes that we have are completely wrong on the, on the acceptance stages. Yeah. The uh, power of class, power class, you know, class and money trump race every time. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and and for me, the the biracial history, the the merging of societies, 
white, black, um, French, you know, blonde, whatever you, people come together for right at different points. And I do look, you're absolutely right. I do look for those moments because to me, I want to show how, even if it's just for one second of time, how we all got it right, how we all got it right. Um, because to me, that's important. There were bridges built in the past. There should be bridges built in the present. And we definitely need to build bridges in the future. You had a line of dialogue that was spoken by the fiance of one of the characters. I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but I'm telling you, it it moved me to tears. It was just, I think you know what I'm referencing, the moment where this is, this is just going to be my family kind of thing. Like, that's just... I've accepted this a long time ago. I don't need to have this conversation. Love is love. Be, I think he's going to be one of the most endearing characters. Yes. Ever. Because uh, <laughs> he, he has a journey to, to get where he is at. Right. <laughs> but it's a reflection um, because that's what broke, unfortunately, that's what broke Haiti up. Colorism. Yes. Broke Haiti to pieces because the coloreds as, as the, during the time frame with education were resentful that the generals and the admirals of, of, of society were blacks people without formal educations but they proved themselves on the battlefield over and over again and that's why Haiti is free that friction continued even though they all came together for that moment everybody came together it was still there it wasn't addressed and it culminates in the assassination of Jean-Jacques Deslines. And that's the, the, the country splits, the colors go to the South, the Blacks go to the North, and they're at war during this entire time frame. Um, it's, it's a sad thing. It is, because essentially we're fighting ourselves. We're fighting ourselves. And the unity would have made things so much stronger. And, and to me, that's the story. If, if Haiti had remained unified, and the things that Henri and Louise achieved, vaccination, education, the, the, the outreach to all the world powers, which was successful until he's no longer able to, 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 to maintain that. Um, that would, I think Haiti would look a lot different if the unity had kept up. So it's, it's, a, it's to me, it's a, it's a second lesson because if you cannot find a way to, to, to cooperate, to see the goodness in other folks who are not like yourselves or like yourselves, just a different shade, um, you're going to miss out and you're going to weaken society. And they left them in such a weak society. That's why France is able to come back. That's why there's no friends of the country to save them from wrongfully paying the debt to the losers. Yes. And let's talk about that. That one of the most notable things I learned wasn't even about Queen Louise. It was about the reparations Haiti was forced to pay. I didn't know about that before reading your book. Yeah. And that so, is absolutely atrocious. It's crazy. And that, and once again, that's why I put all of those newspaper clippings in the book to ground you to the, the, the politics that were happening. And so you can see, at, th at least through my narrator eyes, how things could have been so different. Um, you know, when the South takes over and you find the country, they kill the people, in my opinion, who would have had the backbone to go up against France one more time. Uh, and they just want, and, and, you, and for some, you can, you can understand why they want peace because they've been at war so long. You know, it's, it's 50 years at this point. They've been right. at war. But to not fully understand that you are now burdening your society with this huge amount of debt that's going to take away from education, it's going to take away from the sovereignty of your nation, it's going to take away from the advancement of your people, um, that is so short-sighted. So short-sighted. They should have been able to stand up. And, in, and Henri and Louise had actually had Russia and England on their side and those two powers were keeping France away. So if they had lived and they kept doing, if, if Henri had lived and kept going with the way he was doing his, his, his negotiations, 
there may have been another settlement for France or France may have been completely um, kept away because of these other superpowers being standing in the gap for them. But the South disregards everything that Henri and Louise were doing. They go their own path. And five years later, they have they accept this horrible deal. Yeah. And once again, the, the whole world community, because they, they were no longer doing research, said, whatever, guys, y'all do. Y'all got this. They, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But you can see how it would be heartbreaking for her. It's like, are you kidding me? You won and you have to pay reparations for your victory? Exactly. And who's going to pay the price for that? The people. The people. The people. Um, and, you know, it's just what's so fascinating is the guy who, who champions this deal is run out within another 10 years. After mm -hmm. You've doomed the place but you got to run for your safety because the people you doomed realize you doomed them and now they want blood. So it's, it's horrible. Um, I hope the book shed lights on the situation. Um, you know, that debt is a real thing. That investment is still lacking. Um, right. I think it's still affecting where they are now. Like this is, this is one of those things that the country's not going to just get over. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. You know, you look at the advancement for the Dominican Republic and Haiti, they would be as at, at the same rate of growth, same technological advancements if they weren't robbing their country, paying for this massive debt. Because you take it, it's guns and butter. You can't have both. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it is quite a shame. So hopefully that message comes through um, in this book, Queen of Exiles. Tell me a little bit about your nonlinear approach to telling this story. What was that a decision you made going into it, or did you decide that after you'd written it chronologically? Um, chronologically is usually typically the best way to write it. Um, and my frame story, you, you could probably tell what the real, the, the original frame story was, right? So you have the reporter coming along and he's trying to get the scoop. And that was, you know, but um since I have a sensitivity reader who reads uh, the manuscript, particularly because I am of Trinidadian. My, my father's from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I'm American. I'm not Haitian. And I always want to be sensitive. Is there something that I'm missing, particularly as we get into the politics? Because I'm reading it from my standpoint. I'm grounding it in, their, in, in Haitian literature, Haitian philosophers. But I still want that extra layer. Do I get it right? Because... One of one of my I hope one of my legacies is that all of the colonies, former colonies, they're not the same. They are mm -hmm. very different. They got different organization, different rules that that for, that brought them into formation. And so we got to break that lens. It's not it's not a myopic lens. It is a wide, diverse lens. Um, but because of that, I want to make sure I haven't made any mistakes, um, especially because you want to do no harm. I never want to do harm and whatnot. But she read the what is now the opening, which might have been chapters eight, nine, and ten. And she was like, This will put everything that you need for me to be hooked into her plight right here. Uh, and so my editor agreed, um, and we made that change. And I think that is the strongest way to open the book because you, you know, spoiler alert, you she has just come from exile. She barely got her, her and her daughters out alive from Haiti. They smuggled these jewels that they've intended to sell to, to, to because they have no money. I mean, they, they left literally with the clothes in the back and some trunks. They smuggled these jewelry, just jewelry out. That was their big plan. And now it's missing. I think that just puts you in her total mind frame because now she's, you know, in, in Haiti, you could at least go into the jungle and, and eat. This is London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 I think it does, it does what it needs to do, but it does make it nonlinear when you do that. Um, and that is a challenge, but um, I think the, I, I trust that the reader will be able to reflect and see why that's the right choice. As oh, I, I did. The first, like the first chapter was like, oh, yeah, this like the stakes are high right now. 
<laughs> There's no building up to high stakes. It's what is she going to do? And then, all right, you're going to make me wait for this answer. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, like, you see her, the, you know, the next thing you see her is an older woman. Um, and she's, you know, she's not poor-ish, right? She, right. She, she's she's well-fed, so something happened. She's so living. That also gives the anxiety because, you know, when you read our history, you, there is a sense of anxiety uh, of what's going to happen to us. And so I want to somewhat, in a, in a nice way, take that level. I want you to know she survives. Take that level of anxiety because it's different than, you know, you're reading a thriller. It's a little different when we're reading our history. I feel there's a little extra anxiety because of the way our history has always been portrayed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take that away so that you can. OK, she she made it somehow. But I'm still hooked. <laughs> I want to know. Yeah, but it's interesting to learn how and the things that happened along the way and the experiences that she had. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's your your experience as a romance writer that helped you tap into the emotions and like bring this feeling and this sense out to make people latch onto characters so it doesn't feel like a dry history book, but an emotional journey. Exactly. Um, people rag on romance writing, but it's actually one of the hardest genres to write because everybody knows the outcome. So how do you make a story feel different, new, relatable, and fresh if everybody already knows the outcome? That's talent to be able to do that. So I honed my emotional arcs in writing romance. Um, And, you know, I love a a love story. And so if there's one in the text, that just makes it extra fun. uh, Because you see, you can use the romance or love story to show different dimensions of a person that you wouldn't normally get if that's not there. It's another way of helping your character be three-dimensional because who they are as they fall in love, who this other person sees them as and what they need from each other, that's a whole nother intimate level that um, makes the story feel more present. You you have the high, more, the, the stakes are higher when you do it and do it right. And you do it right, I must say. Thank you. Thank you very much. So possibly my most important question, where can I get the recipe for this delectable butter cake that you keep referencing? I'm going to put it in in one of my newsletters coming up. As we get closer to lunch, it will definitely be, I will make sure you, I will make sure the world will have the butter cake. Because, okay, good. You know, because butter cake's important, guys. Yes. It's incredibly <laughs> important. And it, OMG, OMG, you know, don't be, if you're vegan, don't be vegan now. you got to have the butter. You can't <laughs> substitute it. There's no substitute. I've tried. Just, just, just deal with it. You know, pray afterwards. You'll be all right. The butter cake, you got to have full gut. It's worth cake. the sin. You got you to gotta do it. Say some Hail Marys. You'll be all right. You know. <laughs> so what's next for you? I am currently working on next year's historical. Um, it's, uh, I will I will tell you what it's about. Um, uh, basically, I was doing research in Jamaica and I was at Port Royal and Port Royal has a famous history of piracy. And there I learned the name of a black woman pirate, Jaqueta de la Haye. So I am researching her story, writing her story as we speak. Um, and hopefully you will see black lady pirates next year. That's so awesome. So it's going to be find fun, such guys. interesting people. It's it, there's stories like I and I'm like, I was working on I was doing a different one, girl. I was there for a different story. And I wrote. And now you so, find the queen of the seas, right? <laughs> oh, that's a good title, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's yours. You know? So it's it's, you know, I firmly believe stories come to you. They come to you um, and your goal is when they come, do them justice. And so you, you research what you need to research. You, 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 you build these fully flushed out three-dimensional characters and you reward your readers by learning history, 
and just getting to live in that moment. Um, and this is an exciting one. Pirates, girl! I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to thank you very much for sharing so much about this story, sharing Queen Louise with us. What are the best ways that listeners can support you and more importantly, support Queen of Exiles? Yeah, definitely. First, uh, go to my website, sign up for my newsletter, VanessaRiley.com. That's, that is the mothership, the homepage. From there, you can get to all my socials, follow me on social media. I'm very active on Instagram. I'm getting active, more and more active on TikTok. I'm somewhat active on Twitter and I'm there on Facebook. I'm there on Facebook. Uh, but sign up for the newsletter because I, I, you know, I do recipes. The, the next one is going to be tiramisu. Oh, I'm here. I am on the newsletter and I'm going to be looking for that butter cake recipe because it's yum. Coming. It's coming. It's coming. Because and also it, follow her on Goodreads too, because she yes. does giveaways for her books yeah. and she has lots of little interesting tidbits about history on there. Excellent. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Goodreads is amazing. Um, and I just want to thank you, Tanya, for inviting me. This is, you're always fun to chat with. <laughs> and uh, I just, these stories need to be told. These news, they need to they be do. shared. And I'm excited and feel very privileged and honored to be a writer of these stories. And I thank you for telling them well, because that is important. That's a, if you, you know, we get one chance sometimes. It's, hey, I want to tell this story. You get one shot. And if it's not perfect, oh, see, that's why we don't let you do this. Well, you're making sure that that doesn't happen. And even though the stakes are unfair, I appreciate the quality of your work. Thank you. Thank you. Due to the, you know, someone else will always find fault in what you're doing. But you at the end of the day need to answer, did I do this to the best of my ability? Did I cross those T's? Did I dot those I's? Did, did I pour into this story enough so that the ancestors will feel proud? Yeah. Because you're, you're you're resurrecting a voice. You're resurrecting a time. Did you do it justice? And if you can say that, then it doesn't really matter others' opinions and things like that, um, that's what matters. And you're carrying I, I, a lot of weight. You're writing for the ancestors and you're writing for the future. But I'm having fun. So it might be weighty, but, you know, it's just, to me, these th these stories are coming to me and I have to do them justice. So it's a privilege and an honor to write them. You guys out there, y'all need to get them and get on them and do your book clubs and, and tell your friends, get Queen of Exiles for July, you know, this is what we need. No, seriously, I, I need your readers. I need y'all talking about these books. And um, I think because the more we do it, the, that's going to open up more opportunities for more stories to be told. And publishers, you know, are looking. They want to see, is it talk? Have y'all just been talking? Have you been complaining? Are there readers who are really hungry for these stories? So the more you share, even just, even just going to your library and asking, do you have Vanessa Riley books? That makes a difference. Yes. And leave reviews. <laughs> yes, very much so. Very much so. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you see why Vanessa Riley has made a lifelong fan of me. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, comment, and subscribe. Go out there, follow her on all of her social media, follow her newsletter, read her books, leave reviews, spread the word. This has been Femme on Creatives, part of the Femme on Collective. <laughs>